early for Sam, who lives in L.A. I'm in Miami, so it's 9 a.m. here. I'm basically cool. Norlander's on the East Coast. I'm assuming he's cool. Sam's dealing with a 6 o'clock hour right now, and he's a young man with no kids, so there's really never any reason for him to be up at this hour ever. So let's start with, Sam, are you awake? And uh, if so, uh, can I trust you'll stay awake until we're finished recording here? Um, uh, I am awake You know what? You now. sound awake. You sound awake. You've sounded, you've sounded less awake than this at, like, two in the afternoon before yeah that happens sometimes i still haven't had my coffee yet and i am laying in bed uh with my dog so i, I cannot promise you that this will sustain for the whole podcast <laughs> but i'm gonna try my best and we'll see how it goes all right well, well we'll see how it goes like you said lots of stuff to get to but let's start with uh kansas's ot win over kentucky inside allen Fieldhouse. uh norlander was there it was his first trip to the place i believe uh, is the best spot in college basketball. What do you think, Norlander? Did Allen Fieldhouse, before we talk about the game, Allen Fieldhouse live up to its reputation for you? Pretty much did. Uh, man, I really, I could not have asked for a better game. I mean, for a first trip. Um, it, one, uh, I love the location within the campus. Uh, Kansas University of Kansas is a pretty, pretty good campus uh, setup overall. And then... The building itself isn't from the outside. It's not like um, like Hinkle from the outside. With the way that Hinkle, where Hinkle's placed, like you, you kind of like turn, you can turn a few corners in a neighborhood, and then all of a sudden it's just like it's it's there. It's like you know, it's like one of the pyramids. It's it's got a very uh, uh, looming presence overall. Uh, Allen Fieldhouse is kind of just like it's tucked behind a parking garage right there on campus. There's nothing that really stands out about it from the exterior really at all um but then once you get in it's really cool um because they've got you know the kansas you know hall of fame so to speak um and there's all sorts of really cool stuff they've got the original so anyone that that's familiar with the building and you know oftentimes the tv shot will cut away to the top of one end of the field house where they've got the the sign uh you know pay heat all who enter beware the fog well that goes back to the 80s when uh, a bunch of sorority girls, I guess, made an, an original version of that sign with a bunch of shower curtains and they and they hung it, they like threw it over one of the rafters and they, and they hung it with like tied shoes and all this stuff. And apparently it was, uh, I learned that it was something of a, um, like it was a project, but it was like something of a, of a drunkenly inspired one. <laughs> and- uh, We've all been there. So, and so, yeah, and so- anyway, With sorority the original girls, one, uh, it was, and it's like really cool. The original one hangs uh, right there in the lobby of uh, when you enter from the uh, Booth Family Hall of Athletics, and so all that stuff, you know, the Wolf Chamberlain and Kansas Athletics and all that is really cool. The setup, I can't like properly describe it in terms of like the building and the locker room and where it's located. It's like right there in the entrance. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's a really, really cool setup overall. The actual arena is super cool. Um, and yeah, it was, it was definitely just an amazing thing. Uh, the, the student lottery they have set up. I mean, when I got there on Friday, um, 
you know, I got to, uh, you know, I got to, I, I landed by like noon on Friday and I pretty much wanted to get over there immediately to, uh, to see the, see the place. And I get there and there are a bunch of students just, you know, sitting, it, it was almost like in an airport where, you know, every flight is delayed. Everyone's just sitting on the ground on their computers, you know, just kind of hanging out. And I'm like, I guess this is them camping out, but I really don't understand what's going on here. And what they basically do is they have a lottery earlier in the week in the practice facility, and you can have as many as I guess thirty people in a group, and you know that you put all your names in whatever they do, and they and they draw it, and you know if you're picked first, then you have first dibs uh, in terms of getting in line on on actual game day to get to the student section. And then I took a photo. I can't really share it on Twitter because the names of some of these groups are hilarious, and I mean vulgar as hell. Um, really, really funny, but, uh, but yeah, so basically everyone sits in the lobby and you only need one group representative and they take random roll call. And if someone from your group isn't there, then you lose your spot that you earn in the lottery, uh, overall. So you always got to have at least someone there and, um, which I thought was a really cool and interesting way of doing it. And that way you don't have basically 3000 people camping out outside Allen Fieldhouse. What you have is inside of it, you've got, you know. 500 basically well they're trying to keep people from freezing to death right pretty much yeah yeah um, and you don't want i mean it sort of runs counter to the college mission to have a bunch of kids camping out <laughs> you know, know. like like I, I know it's a great scene like shasheskyville and all that stuff but it, and and the duke kids are smart kids by and large so like whatever i'm sure they're doing fine but it has always like struck me as kind of strange that uh that we 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 think it's a, a great thing that like kids who are supposed to be living in dorms and studying or camping out in tents. And beyond that, it's always struck me as something that's insane. Like, I, I wouldn't camp out for, like, what would you camp out for? I, I don't even know what I'd camp out for. Basketball. I mean, it's usually, it's either, it's, it's concert tickets or to get into a big game. That's usually one of the two things. Concert? So. Do people don't camp out for concert tickets not, anymore? Not anymore, <laughs> but it used to, I mean, back in the day, when that was literally how you bought the tickets at the window, uh, at wherever you were oh, buying no, it back in the yeah. 70s and 80s, people literally camped out, you know, lines deep for it. But I, I don't think there's, I, I'm off the top of my head, I can't think of a single thing I would camp out for. Like, like, no, there's nothing I would camp out for. Like, you got to be out of your mind. Like, that whole camping out thing sounds fun until you realize you got to sleep in a tent. Like, <laughs> you ever slept in a tent? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I will never camp, period. Like, not camp out for something, but just like, straight up like camp in the wilderness like i have no desire to do that Yeah, like this might this might be surprising because i grew up in mississippi i've never camped like that i i mean no, I have, it's not surprising to me whatsoever i don't even think you know how to change a tire gp but i, I uh, do know how to change a tire I, I i changed a tire outside of the humphrey coliseum one time in starkville mississippi yeah i was, str- I was stranded stranded there by myself <laughs> i i'm not opposed to camping uh i'm i run against both of you guys i think camping in general is pretty cool pretty fun uh, you know, get in touch with nature and all that BS. But uh, o- overall, uh, I'm I'm with you when it comes to actually, uh, you know, going for 72 hours, 72 plus hours, you know, waiting in line for something. That's no. Nah, I, 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 if can. only because it, I, this same way. Hey, same way about clubs, right? Waiting in line for out for like to go into a club, like you that. See that I will not do. Okay, so like, almost almost always, yes. yeah. So like out in Vegas, that's the thing. Although we tend to have the uh, hookup, we just walk right in. <laughs> like any, I mean, perhaps because we're willing to let them charge like five thousand dollars on a credit card, maybe that's it. But either way, we get right in. Uh, but like I, I, I remember 
in a different life, like friends would be like, yeah, we're going to go to this place tonight. And I'm like, okay. And we get there and there's like this line outside. Like we may or may not get in in an hour. And I, I would just always try to, I'd try to think back throughout my life. I'd go, okay, have I ever had so much fun inside of a club to where it made sense to stand here for the next 90 minutes? And the answer is no, never. Or, or no more fun than I could have somewhere else where you don't have to wait for 90 minutes. Like I can have fun basically anywhere. So um, yeah, the, the, the camping out, standing in line, that ain't my thing, man. I don't, God bless those kids who do it. If they're having a good time, I hope they're having a good time. But yeah, they, and they were like, I yeah. talked to a few of them and they were, uh, you know, I, you know, it's, it's part of, I guess, going to Kansas and, and these huge games. And it was, it was, it was pretty cool. The, um, the building over itself was, uh, obviously so awesome inside and we can get to the game here, but I will say that the, I mean, it was so loud. It was, it was at like my ears really started to hurt and they did the decibel. If they did in the beginning of the game, I didn't see it as we went to overtime. I think it hit like 118 for decibels. It was so freaking loud. The, the sound system in there and the, and the, and the, just the, the nature of the architecture of the building, um, was incredible and, uh, and really cool. And then coincidentally, I didn't even realize this until game day, but not only do I get a good game, but they actually officially unveiled the rules that James Naismith wrote uh, to the game of basketball back in the 1890s. And that was, there was a 30 for 30 dedicated to that, which was, is a really good 30 to 30 if you haven't seen it. And basically it's this Kansas grad is convinced by the guy who makes the documentary that the rules should, you know, be in Lawrence where, you know, James Naismith is buried and where obviously uh, he coached at Kansas and, and all this. And um, it takes a while to convince this guy to do it. And then once he's into it, uh, they do the, the bidding with Sotheby's over the phone. And it like keeps going up, 2 million, 2.1, 2.2. And it's like it's kind of like this amazingly gripping thing to watch. And so at halftime, which I don't think they would have showed this on TV if they did, uh, correct me. But they, they have this whole thing about the rules and how they belong and Lawrence and all that stuff. But they, they take the like two-minute clip from the 30 for 30 with and I don't know the guy's name off the top of my head, but he was there in the building. But it's basically him countering. It's it's like him and two other bidders, and you never see the other bidders because they're over the phone. The whole thing is a bit over the phone, and it's like every time that someone else bids, he immediately is like, "Yes, I'll keep going. I'll keep going." But like it's uh, it was it's an amazing piece. What did he so end up? What did he end up paying? In Lawrence, what, what did he end up happening? Every time he bids higher, the crowd's like cheering. Really, really cool vibe, and for them to unveil it there. Was uh, it made it even cooler? So. I ain't I ain't trying to pay millions of dollars for some rules that that referees don't even enforce. I know <laughs> they don't even enforce them. <laughs> like really, like we make such a big deal about Dr. Naismith's rules, the ref won't even enforce them. I know it is a cool artifact, given everything else that uh, you know the the ties to basketball that run so deep there. But anyway, that's uh, maybe you know a, a not so abridged version of of my trip there. But as for the game, um, I'll let you guys mostly talk about it. I will say it was it wasn't a. Uh, like it was a very very fun game, and it was interesting. And Selden went off, and I did sit on Kansas practice on Friday, and Selden was ridiculous. Like he played really really well in that practice, which I never take too too much from. But he was he shot like seventy percent. I was like insane. Um, and so then afterward, I was talking about self about Selden and what, what he's done and everything since the World University Games, and he was not expecting that. Um, I wasn't expecting Diallo to play as much as he did. Uh, and you know, he was decent in stretches overall, but the game itself wasn't like super duper incredible. Um, it had weird spurts and, and, you know, 
It had Euless played well until the end when he had a couple of bad turnovers. Uh, but overall, you know, getting it to overtime and, and the foul disparity became a huge thing, which was uh, well-timed given my piece last week. And what we talked about on the podcast, I had like so many people um, hit me up and be like, yeah, listen to the podcast. Now I totally get what you're saying about the whistle at Fog Allen just because Kansas made eight more free throws than Kentucky even attempted. But uh, a good win for Kansas and, and yeah, a cer- certainly a, a very fun and interesting game. And I will say in the post game. Calipari was very good, all things considered. Um, you know, I think the 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 weight of the game, the team's meeting, and all that stuff. I you know I wasn't expecting him to be you know come and skipping and all that stuff or, or just be totally dejected. But um, he didn't look like a coach that was all too worried about his team going forward. Um, and he, he was impressed with how they played, given the obviously very intimidating environment. Yeah, you know what? He's typically good in situations where his teams lose games that when his team loses a game it's supposed to lose like he typically handles that pretty well what sets him off is when they lose games they're not supposed to lose which is rare obviously but like it doesn't surprise me that he was um as the quote uh, goes a sick at his stomach after yeah. that overtime loss because they had it or at least had a real opportunity to win an allen Fieldhouse. um but uh it doesn't surprise me that he he walks away you know feeling uh, I, I don't know if more inspired is the right phrase, but, but but feeling okay about where his team might be headed. Sam, I'll ask you, you you watched the game. Um Kansas is Kansas, they won inside fog. They still got issues away from fog. We'll 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 you know, we'll see. Maybe they win another Big Twelve title, maybe they don't. We've talked enough about them. Uh with Kentucky, do you walk away from this game, even in loss, even in a, in even though it's a loss, uh, thinking, you know what, they they might really be turning a corner? Um I mean, yes. I kind of thought they were turning the corner before the Kansas game, though. I mean, those three wins by, I think, like 15 to 40 points or 44 points or whatever over the course of uh, a week and a half were pretty impressive over Arkansas, Vanderbilt and Missouri. Um, As far as the game against Kansas, I think that the bigger underlying issues here, just that they their big men can't really do much because they can't stay on the floor due to fouls. I, I will say that, hey, like maybe there's a quick whistle at Fog Allen Fieldhouse or whatever. But the bigger problem here is that Scalabissier and Marcus Lee and Alex Poitras are all averaging something like six fouls per 40 minutes. Like, and that's before the game at Fog Allen. I looked it up. It was like 5.6, 5.8 and like over six uh, per 40 minutes. And, you know, it, whatever your guys are in that sort of foul trouble, it, it doesn't point to a quick whistle fog Allen Fieldhouse. It points to the fact that, you know, you're just losing the free throw disparity just night after night because these guys can't stay on the floor. And uh, it's not like Jamal Murray or, uh, you know, Tyler Eulis or guys who are going to be averaging a, a ton of free throws just because their games don't really, uh, they don't really kind of lend themselves to that. Murray is a guy that drives to avoid contact right now. And Yules is a guy that kind of goes up and does the, he has that great floater game, but uh, he's not necessarily a guy that's going to go all the way to the rim because of his height, because it's harder for him to finish. So uh, it's, I understand the idea that Kentucky fans might be a little bit mad about the free throw disparity, but 
I think that Kansas played aggressively right into those big guys that they know are foul prone. And until Kentucky kind of irons out those fouling issues that have been there all season, like this isn't just a Kansas thing. I think that they're probably going to struggle to keep their best players on the floor. You know what? You make a point that I always try to make to to people when they complain about free throws. And I'm not saying, I I think by, I think um, big picture, Kansas undeniably gets a favorable whistle inside Allen Fieldhouse. The way most great programs get a favorable whistle at their place, whether it's um, Duke at Cameron, like that's the, you know, the, the sort of the cliche in basketball is if you're going to win at Cameron, you better beat them by 10 points. Like you're going to have to be 10 points better than them to beat them by a point because of the whistles. So I, I think um, in general, it is, it is, it is true that, that programs like Kansas and Duke, uh, perhaps because of the stature of the program, perhaps because of the building, um, they get a favorable whistle. But t- typically, like you hear this all the time, like it could be, um, um, you know, a Vanderbilt on the road at, Texas A&M, like where there's no right, you know, long uh, rooted, uh, you know, theory that, uh, you know, you can't go into A&M and, you know, expect a good whistle. Like that's not a thing that people talk about. And and sometimes the fouls will be, um, you know, the foul numbers will look different. And I I, I guess my point is this. I always say, okay, don't talk to me about the free throw numbers. Guess what? Because that's what the fans, most fans always point to. They go, that we only, only, uh, attempted 22 free throws and and they they made 38 or whatever right and it's like okay i don't care about the free throw numbers please because okay what if you're what if um what if they're playing zone and you're and and in your uh or or, and they're playing zone and they're attacking into you they're trying to drive and get to the rim then you're gonna foul more than they're gonna foul like the the numbers Mm -hmm. uh independent of anything else don't mean anything to me tell me about the bad calls all right, if you want to complain about efficiency, let's talk specifically about bad calls. Let's don't talk about free throw numbers, but sometimes that, that gets lost. you know. And, and, then, and sometimes, I'll be honest, they, the, the fans can go, well, it was this call and this call and that call. And I go, okay, you got a good point there. Yeah, you probably got you got a bad whistle. But the, the free throw numbers in and of themselves rarely mean anything uh, any anything to me. Yeah, like Texas A&M last week uh, lost at Bud Walton Arena to Arkansas. Uh, they actually outshot them free throw-wise 35 to 24. And they got horrible, horrible whistles down the stretch, especially for offensive foul calls. It was a nightmare. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. I don't look at free throw disparities and uh, like think that it's an automatic disqualifier of uh, officiating necessarily. It's it's a silly way to look at things, in my opinion, without it's it's a contextless way of looking at things. Yeah, I I think it's a silly way of looking at things like in your opinion, in my opinion, like in anybody's opinion who like understands that that's a silly way to look at things like it's not even an opinion really it's just sort of uh like it's just just understand if you're somebody who quotes free throw disparities as a proof of something um you're being silly that's according to sam it's according to 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 all all of us (laughs) right norlander yeah, no, I'm, I, I agree. I'm just, you know. Is it, is it, I would say. Okay, so now Kentucky, I, I think they were turning a corner anyway, right? Um, yeah. The, the, the double-digit win at Arkansas is impressive, particularly after you saw what happened to A&M when they went to Arkansas. Uh, then they killed Vanderbilt, killed Missouri. And, yeah, like, you know what? They're starting to look like, and I pointed this out in Friday's Inside College Hoops column, like, um, you know, they, they still got basically three first-round draft picks. Nobody else probably does. I mean, Sam, you follow this better than I do. Um, like, you know, at, at the high end of potential. Now, I know Scal's not one of the best college basketball players right now, 
But he's getting good. better though. He is getting better. He knocked down a couple shots the other night. Um, he's getting better. He's you know he's not able to do it for 27 minutes, and a lot of that is foul trouble. But like he is getting yeah. better. He's at the very least he's having these moments. And Bill has said this on the broadcast. Like you know when he knocked down one of those shots, like well that's that's it. That's why you see him on these mock drafts because yeah. um, you know take away all the other stuff. He's a six eleven guy who can comfortably knock down that shot. Like there's nothing. I don't want to say it's a natural jump shot because I don't I don't I don't know what that means. But like he's a comfortable shooter. That's the phrase I always like to use. He's he's very comfortable um, taking that shot and making that shot, and that's why he is projected to go in the lottery, even if he's been a mostly relevant college basketball player most of the season. But like I mean, is it still true if they're if they're most talented guys start to play closer to their potential. Um, forget the losses, forget the win, whatever. Kentucky's still the most talented team in the country. Is that a, is that is that a fact? Mm. That that's a really good question. Because are we are we saying that like Kansas also gets their guys to play up to their yeah, potential and, uh, well, and gets like Sheck Diallo and Carlton I, I, I Bragg I, and Spee there? Yeah, like I guess I would say um, if you're trying to break those two situations down. Um, Kentucky, I don't think this has, uh, Kentucky has a better track record of actually maximizing their freshmen than, than Kansas does. If only because yeah. Bill doesn't always play as freshman, right? The way that, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. So like there's a better, there's a more realistic chance that Kentucky's freshmen are maximized than, than, mm-hmm. uh, than Kansas's freshmen. But I mean, listen, Maryland's, Maryland's roster is really talented. Yeah. Um, I think Carolina's roster is, is talented, um, but like Kentucky, my point is Kentucky's right there. And, and I made this point mm-hmm. the other day, 2014, the year that the Harrisons were freshmen, they started the season 15 and four and ended up in the national championship game. And I won't be in, in this season. They started at 15 and four. Now their schedules weren't exactly the same, but the numbers were 15 and four to 15 and four. And it will not surprise me at all. If we look up and they're a, four seed who makes the championship game or a three seed who makes it or, or even a seven seed that makes the championship game. Like um, if it starts clicking at the right time, they're good enough. Uh, they're good enough to get there. Watch the way I tie all this together. This is going to be amazing. If you remember back to 2014, the year I was talking about um, the big round of 32 game, of course, was the one eight Kentucky versus Wichita state and the shockers, the shockers yesterday won their 11th straight game. They handled Evansville easily, and I wasn't sure they were going to be able to do that. Like, at Evansville, and Evansville's pretty good. Um, now, Wichita State's 15-2 and two with Fred Van Vliet. They're 13-1 and one with Fred Van Vliet and Connor Frankamp, both in the lineup. Uh, so we talked early, often, about Wichita State when Fred was out and uh, Anton Grady was out and uh, Landry Shamit was out and is still out uh, before Frankamp was eligible. And we wondered, like, are they going? I, I think we all recognize that if they get Van Vliet back and they run through the NBC, they'll be fine. But where we were probably wrong was that we all said, but are they going to be able to run through the NBC? That's just not something that looks like they're going to be able to do. Because at the time, Northern Iowa looked strong. Boy, boy, like, is that the strangest one in the country, by the way? Northern yeah. Iowa? You yeah, go, they're up there. You go from beating Carolina, and I know Marcus didn't play, but still, you beat Carolina and you beat. Who's the other one they beat? Iowa, Iowa State? State. And then, yeah. like, and then they just can't do anything. Like, right? It's them and George Washington. Like, how did GW win the games at one and then end up here? And you and I win the games at one and then end up here. Both with good coaches, too. So, like, uh, anyway, back to Wichita State. We didn't think they'd be able to run through the, through the Missouri Valley. They're running through the Missouri Valley. Like, absolutely yeah. running through it. I mean, they look, they look really good, right? They do. So, they have averaged... 
2.3 losses in the league in the past uh, four seasons. They're going to finish, I mean, almost definitely they're going to finish under that. And for the second time in the past few years, they're going to run the table, I would think. Because the Evansville game was the toughest game uh, remaining on their schedule by a long shot. I mean, Evansville is really the only legitimate team that's you can even consider a quote-unquote contender in the league. And Wichita State won it by double digits, and it wasn't, uh, you know, remarkably close. They have turned themselves into a really, really good defensive team. And as here's my thing. So as we get more and more into this league schedule and they keep not losing and they keep romping teams, okay, romping them. Every game is, is you know, double digits almost exclusively, and, and many of these are, are clearing 20 points. Um, so they're killing the league. And so as we move more and more into this, what we could have a situation to happen is it, let's let's just say they don't they don't lose again until the selection Sunday, which would make for a very very interesting story because if they don't lose again until selection Sunday, the, their their seating is going to be super interesting because UNLV and Utah are the only good non-league wins. Um, if they beat New Mexico State coming up in a couple weeks, I think that one's going to be okay. Uh, We'll see. RPI-wise, it's probably not going to help them, and obviously the RPI is still such a huge thing in what the committee does. Um, but the point I'm getting at here is you'll have to really look at the games they lost without Van Vliet, the three-game losing streak, and that will, I think, help them in a little way. But even even still, I don't think they're going to have the wins that are going to launch them to a, a nice seed. So actually what I think is going to happen is I think if Wichita State runs the table – they're going to get slotted right into that eight nine game, and and I don't think win, there's any way they're in the eight nine if they run. The, you know, I, I run, think that I think if they ran the table, I think that they could get a nine seed. Here, right, running first. the running the table involves um, being twenty five and five entering the MVC, twenty eight and five overall, with three of the losses coming while basically Van Vliet and his backup were both unavailable. And they would be at that point twenty five and one. Oh, so you're saying even higher seating? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure that they will just because of the lack of wins. I think that they will deserve it, but I'm not convinced that they'll get a higher one. They'd be twenty if they ran the table. It'd be twenty five and one with Van Vliet and Frankham. Hey, I'll tell you this: I, if I'm, I were, a I'm one open seed, to it. Don't, if, don't get me wrong. If I were a one seed and they got an eight after running the table, I'd be going crazy. That you know, that's what happens sometimes. Like we think the team that gets underseated gets screwed. You know who actually gets screwed? The team that has the team that has to play the team that got underseeded. You know who got screwed last year? Virginia. You know why? Michigan State got underseeded. Michigan State, yeah. yeah. Like that. That's the thing that like. Um, oh, well, Tony Bennett's never made a Final Four. Well, like last year, I don't know that they would have made it or not, but like they got screwed when Michigan State got underseeded. And like, if I if you know who got screwed, and I don't even know that Kentucky got underseeded based on talent they did like two years ago. Wichita State got screwed. Like they, they suddenly got to look up in the round of 32 game and play the preseason number one that was that's more talented than everybody in the country. Like what in the world? Like you can sort of see where you know uh, fans of of non-power five schools think the committee's out to get them, and I don't think that was necessarily the case. But like, I mean, you could see why if you were a Wichita State fan, you might go, "Come on, man, we we're we're an undefeated uh, number one seed, and we got to play Kentucky in the round of the preseason number one, the round of 32. What are you doing? And like, uh, my point is they could be, end up being the underseeded team this year that, um, that screws a higher seeded team. 20, like if they were to run the table, like right now they're 13 and 13 and one with Van Vliet and Van Frankamp. Like the committee is supposed to judge you. And I know that you don't disregard entire portions of the schedule, but 
they're supposed to judge you based on what you are, uh, you know, heading into the tournament. And they're, uh, they'll have three dudes, like three rotation players, um, available going into the NCAA tournament who weren't available in that three-game stretch around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, Anton yeah, Grady. I looked it up. And that, that's if they bring Landry back. And I, I don't know that they've made a decision on that. I, I, I actually think he'll probably redshirt because a lot of it had to do, when I talked to Greg Marshall about this a few weeks back, he said, he said listen, ultimately it'll be Landry's call. And for people who don't know, he's like a top 100 freshman who is, was Van Vliet's backup and was like good. Like, like, I, I mean, not, not like All-American, but like a relevant play, like ready to play as a freshman. Not all freshmen are ready to play. Um, he was ready to play as a freshman. And, um, you know, they, they, they got to decide in the next couple of weeks what to do with them. And Greg said it'll, it'll be up to Landry. But, like, if there's two ways of looking at it. It's sort of an interesting thing. I'll ask you guys what you think. Okay. You got this kid who's going to be a, a rotation player. If, if not, like, your start, he'll be your starting point guard for the next three years probably, right? And he can maybe come back in mid-February. Do you – but then you'd be wasting a whole year of eligibility. Do you – just redshirt him and say we're not going to waste a whole year of eligibility, particularly if if, if um, you know our uh, Connor Frank Camp's playing better. You know, we got Van Vliet, Baker, Frank Camp in the backcourt. We're fine. McDuffie's be- like great now. Um, or do you go? Hey, listen, this is the last Van Vliet Baker run we're ever making. We'll probably never have guards like this again. Let's just push all in and try to maximize whatever we can get out of this year. What do you do with Shannon? I mean, I think that like Marshall told you, it's ultimately his call. Right. But, I mean, I would probably push all in at that point. I mean, like you said, you're, you're probably never going to have guards on this level again, even though, you know, Landry Shamit and uh, I guess you can call Marcus McDuffie kind of a three, like a, like a swing forward kind of guy. He's, he's become really good. Yeah, like he's really, really good. I think that he's like, he has a lot of potential to be an NBA player, actually. Yeah. Like he's really good. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would probably push all in because you're probably never going to have that high of a talent level again that is the dilemma like that is what they'll be trying to figure out like do we just push all in just whatever like okay we're going to use a year of eligibility but we're going to try to maximize this last baker van vliet thing or do you just save the year of eligibility uh, it will ultimately we'll let we'll let landry and greg make that uh, call a couple of other things before we get out of here buddy hill got 32 points made seven second half three pointers uh, down in baton rouge come from behind win for the top ranked uh, sooners uh, listen, I, I think it's pretty clear at this point he's the National Player of the Year front runner. Like, I don't even know how you could make an intelligent argument for anybody else. It, is it possible he's not only the, he's like going to run away with this thing? It's starting to look like he might run away with this thing, right? He might. Um, yeah. One um, credit to Oklahoma for rallying the way that it did. I was sitting there watching that game with Forty and uh, and Luke Wynn on press row as we were kind of getting ready for our game to start. Oh, name-dropping Norlander. What's up? Name-dropping Norlander. Yeah, yeah, nothing nothing, nothing like name-dropping sports writers. <laughs> um, and uh, we all kind of felt that, like, LSU was going to give it, not necessarily lose, but they were definitely going to give up that lead. Sure enough, they did. Um, and a lot of that's Oklahoma. I mean, listen, uh, and watching that team in transition is just awesome. Um, oh, I don't know what it's going to take for Buddy Yell not to win the player of the year at this point. He would have to completely regress to the mean in a way that he has not shown at all this season. And Oklahoma is so roundly talented over 
he's got he's almost got the perfect situation in that he's got a really solid solid overall supporting cast and so he's not carrying the team he is simply elevating the team to you know an elite status within the context of this season and so with that and when you consider the games that Oklahoma has now gotten out of the way uh he has definitely created some serious separation and it would take uh, a major downturn for him to lose the grip on that overall it could happen but it but as the days go on here it looks more and more like he's going to he's going to lock it up and and we're getting closer we still got to got to play a few more games here but we're getting closer to uh, a scenario where Oklahoma barring you know an, an absolute collapse is going to start really entertaining the idea of getting a number 1 seed we got to get to at least Valentine's Day before we really start looking at at those likelihoods but uh, incredible season continues and yeah i i got to i got to think that it's it's his to lose and it's going to be very hard for him to lose it at this point last thing before we get out of here let's look ahead to monday night the biggest game on the schedule i suppose is north carolina at louisville and um it comes after louisville really really laid an egg um at the yum center um on saturday they lost 63-47 to virginia so now they're sitting here um like all the uh like the computers love Louisville, like you know they're 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 highly ranked in everything basically. But um, I mean they've got two top fifty wins, and it's Pitt and Florida State at home. Uh, their best road win is over Georgia Tech. They don't really have any terrible losses except for the loss at Clemson. But as we've seen, basically anybody could lose at Clemson this year. And uh, listen, it's a loss to Virginia, but a home loss to Virginia is not a good look. Not lopsided like that. Um, I don't know what to expect from them tonight. If you'd asked me a week ago, I'd have said, yeah, Louisville's going to catch Carolina at home. But, like, I still think maybe they'll bounce back. You know, like Saturday could lead to a, a victory, t- you know, Monday night. But uh, they look terrible. And 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 they don't have quality wins right now. I mean, every time I rank them, I do think they're one of the top 25 teams in America. But, like, uh, people love to point out how they really haven't beaten anybody. And, uh, and like, I don't have much of a counterargument for that. <laughs> They, they haven't. Uh, what do you make of Louisville as a basketball team, Sam, and Louisville's resume at this point that, again, um, the best wins either a home win over Pitt or a home win over Florida State or, or a road win at Georgia Tech? Yeah, no, I, mean, I think that you hit it right on the nose. Um, they just don't have the wins, period. Pittsburgh and uh, Florida State really aren't like surefire NCAA tournament teams by any means. Um, and the offense on the scene just kind of goes away from time to time, like in a way that you would not expect with Damian Lee and Trey Lewis and uh, Donovan Mitchell. And even on has been a little bit more consistent offensively recently. Um, I don't understand what happens with this offense. Uh, honestly, I don't, I'm, I can typically kind of pinpoint one thing, uh, but you know, sometimes the shooting just totally goes away with this team in a way that like, it it doesn't even seem like a matter of execution. It just seems like the shooting just disappears. Um, Maybe that's just the result of having guys like Damian Lee and Trey Lewis who are kind of getting into the dog days of playing up into ACC level play comparatively to CAA play and horizon play. Uh, Maybe they're just kind of getting tired a little bit, but this is a really, really important game for them tonight against North Carolina, because uh, coming up here, you got Boston college next Saturday. You have Duke, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Duke again uh, coming up in their next four. And those are two road games followed by two home games. So uh, they're going to have opportunities for quality wins at least, but 
Uh, this is a home game at the Yum Center against a North Carolina team that's rolling right now, and it could really make a statement. Uh, whether or not that happens for Louisville, I don't know. But uh, I wouldn't count them out. But it's just, yeah, this team is very, it's perplexing, I would say. Norlander, North Carolina at Louisville. Who wins it? Mm. And by the way, do you guys say Louisville or is that just a Southern thing? It's Louisville. That's how you pronounce it. It's Louisville. Good. As someone who once lived in Louisville. Louisville. <laughs> you lived in Not Louisville? Not Louisville. You lived Louisville. in Louisville? Yeah, if you live there, it's Louisville. You yeah. live there? When did you live I, there? Back in the day, man. What do you mean back in the day? Like you're being secret, like you were like you're in the CIA or something. What do you CITD, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I did. Lived I, I, I lived you, in Louisville. Why did you Absol- live in Louisville? No, no doubt about it. Back in the eighties, back when it was a real town, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't even know what I'm saying. Um Carolina, I'll take I'll take Carolina to win. Uh, you know, I've been a seller on Louisville most of the season. Uh, I, I did acquiesce to the the notion that this is a top forty team, and I would still stand by that after not thinking it would even be a top fifty team coming into the season. But you know, the best, yeah, you know, the two notable wins in the league at Georgia Tech is okay, I guess. But really, the home wins over Pitt and Florida State, and those two are kind of as erratic as they get overall. So this is. Absolutely, a very, very big game. No that, doubt about it. We mentioned which we mentioned Wichita State. Let's see what Louisville does the rest of the year, compared to Wichita State, and see how many each of those you know programs have top fifty wise and where they get slotted yeah. and seated accordingly. Because you can't see how they're going to win at Duke. Uh, will be tough to win at Notre Dame, you would think. Um, and then they still have return games at Pitt, at Miami, at Virginia. I mean, it could really get ugly here. Uh, they got they got to win on their home floor. Carolina still, you know, Sam. Uh, mentioned, you know, the Duke game upcoming and then obviously the return uh, Duke game on February 20th. So it could get dicey in a hurry or they could just pick up a couple of needed wins and just assure themselves that they're going to get in and, and have some comfort getting into the NCAA tournament. The other game, by the way, uh, on Monday night is Texas at Baylor. And we should probably hit on Texas real quick here because now, I mean, it was it was a 9-6 and six team uh, the morning of January 10th. And they were still, I think, in decent shape because at that point, Washington was playing well in the Pac-12 or had a good start. They had the home win over UNC. It wasn't – I don't know if they would you could consider them a tournament team on that date, but now they're unequivocally a tournament team. And, and Shaka Smart is seemingly getting his team on the track to a really nice seat as well because they have since – the, since they lost uh, at TCU – which is TCU's only league win, I think, which is so bizarre and random. I'm checking. Yes, they're one and seven, and their only win is over Texas by one. But since then, uh, beat Iowa State in overtime, uh, beat Oklahoma State, went to West Virginia and decidedly won. Uh, have the road loss at Kansas, but that everyone loses at Kansas. Got revenge on the Frogs. And then uh, and then beat Vanderbilt over the weekend, and Vanderbilt's just a complete mess. So that's not necessarily a surprise. I think if they win tonight, then you'll really start to see people, you know, standing up and paying attention for the first time this season in like a widespread way. I mean, the Carolina win was nice and all, but uh, but now as we get into the thick of February, and I can't believe it's February already. My God, um, this would be a, a huge one to go on the road and win at Baylor, but I don't think they're going to do it. I think Baylor will win. Yeah, they've got five Texas right now, five top fifty RPI wins, and um, you know only one loss outside of the top fifty-five. That loss being, of course, at TCU. So uh, they're clearly playing better and playing better shorthanded. I'm not sure I expected that. Um, 
But uh, no, Shaka's got him headed in the right direction. Although, you know, Scott Drew never gets the uh, credit he deserves, or, or at least it seems that way. But, um, you know, he's got Baylor, like, operating at the top of the league, you know, with a chance right now to, to what? Be the first uh, Big 12 team tonight to go to 12 wins? I mean, I mean, I mean to go to eight wins? Is that uh, seven wins? Right, because right now Oklahoma, West Virginia, Baylor are all six and two in the league. So, do West Virginia and Oklahoma play tonight? They don't, do they? No, I don't think so. Yeah, no. so like Baylor could be the first Big Twelve team to get to seven uh, league wins, and considering that they're home, um, they'll be favored to do that, which means they probably should do this. All right, let's get out of here. You can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That is the uh, quickest way to get the latest episodes in your possession. So do that, please, and. Uh, We'll talk to you again a, a little later on this week. Take care.